Hey, what's going on? It's Mark. And today I wanted to share with you the story that changed my life. And the title of this is not an exaggeration. It was actually a story that I heard when I was on my meditation retreat in Thailand a few years ago, back in 2017. And every morning we would go to the meditation room and we would have the monk who would basically give us like a hour, hour and a half lecture at 5 a.m. in the morning. So every morning we would wake up at 5 a.m., go to the meditation hall or the meditation area, and then he would tell us a story or give us a lesson. And there is one particular story that really struck me and stuck with me to this day. And I've actually heard it off and on from different people as well. But this was actually the first time I heard it was back in 2017 on that meditation retreat. So I want to share that with you today, because in particular, this story encapsulates a lot of the perspective that I have on life, because regardless of whether you might have something that is good that happens or bad that happens, this is a way of almost reframing the situation or, or looking at it completely differently. And so especially, you know, if you're into the pickup stuff, because maybe you are watching this video because you saw some of my RSD videos or the 10 minute pull video, and now you're here. Um, this is particularly applicable to those situations as well, as well as business or relationships with your family, whatever the case may be. So I actually found it online today and I was going through, and I was looking for it and I found it on Paolo Coelho's website who was author of The Alchemist and some other books as well, uh, The Warrior of the Light. He has some very enlightening books that, you know, he's one of my favorite authors. Um, I think he's a great storyteller. And he also covers a lot of topics or basically, you know, a lot of his stories really capture the feeling behind a lot of, a lot of the messages that I have uh, in terms of my perspective on life as well. And also it, it's helped me to give myself perspective on, on my own life to help me improve. So I'm gonna go ahead and share my screen here and then let's actually go through this story together. All right, so this is on Paolo Coelho's blog. Maybe I'll also link this in the description as well so you can take a look at it. But he says, so it says a traditional Sufi story. This is back in 2008, so a while ago, I published this. All right, so it says, many years ago in a poor Chinese village, there lived a farmer and his son. His only material possession apart from the land and a small hut was a horse he had inherited from his father. One day the horse ran away, leaving the man with no animal with which to work the land. His neighbors who respected him for his honesty and diligence went to his house to say how much they regretted the loss. He thanked them for their visit, but asked, how do you know that what happened was a misfortune in my life? Someone muttered to a friend, he obviously doesn't want to face the facts, but let him think what he likes. After all, it's better than being sad about it. So basically up until this point in the story, um, so there's obviously a farmer and his son, and they've lost the horse. And the neighbors come by to basically comfort him and let him know, sorry about your loss. You know, that that's a bad thing that happened. But then the father says, how do you know that was such a bad thing? Right. So let's let's go to the next part. The neighbors went away again, pretending to agree with what he had said. 
A week later, the horse returned to its stable, but it was not alone. It brought with it a beautiful mare for company. The inhabitants of the village were thrilled when they heard the news, for only then did they understand the reply the man had given them. And they went back to the farmer's house to congratulate him on his good fortune. Instead of one horse, you got two. Congratulations, they said. Many thanks for your visit and your solidarity, replied the farmer. But how do you know that what happened was a blessing in my life? So once again, just to break this down a little bit. So now the horse came back and it came back with another horse. And so the neighbors came by to basically say, congratulations, that's an amazing thing that happened. But then the farmer says, well, how do you know that was a blessing? Right, so now probably these neighbors or these villagers are like, this guy is crazy. So let's keep going. The neighbors were rather put out and decided that the man must be going mad. And as they left, they said, doesn't the man realize that the horse is a gift from God? A month later, the farmer's son decided to break the mare in. However, the animal bucked wildly and threw the boy off. The boy fell awkwardly and broke his leg. The neighbors returned to the farmer's house, bringing presents for the injured boy. The mayor of the village solemnly presented his condolences to the father, saying how sad they all were about what had occurred. The man thanked them for the visit and for their kindness, but he asked, how do you know that what happened was a misfortune in my life? So once again, here's basically what happened is the son was on the horse while the father, or while he was trying to break in the horse, basically that's you know the process of um, trying to train the horse. And the horse basically bucked the boy off and the boy fell and broke his leg. And so here's what happens is the neighbors returned to the farmer's house, bringing presents for the injured boy. The mayor of the village solemnly presented his condolences for the father, saying how sad they all were about what had occurred. The man thanked them for the visit and for their kindness, but he asked, how do you know what happened was a misfortune in my life? So once again, these villagers, these neighbors probably think that this guy is crazy, right? Because he's not taking it. He's like in denial is how they see it. So here's what happens is uh, these words left everyone dumbstruck because they were all quite sure that the son's accident was a real tragedy. As they left the farmer's house, they said to each other, now he's really gone mad. His only son could be left permanently crippled, and he's not sure whether that accident was a misfortune or not. A few months went by, and Japan declared war on China. The emperor's emissaries scoured the country for healthy young men to be sent to the front. When they reached the village, they recruited all the young men, except the farmer's son, whose leg had not yet been mended, or had not yet mended. None of the young men came back alive. The sun recovered and the two horses produced foals that were all sold for a good price. The farmer went to, his, to visit his neighbors to console and to help them since they had al always shown him such solidarity. Whenever any of them complained, the farmer would say, how do you know that what happened was a misfortune? If someone was overjoyed about something, he would ask, how do you know that what happened was a blessing? And the people of the village came to understand that life has other meanings that go beyond mere appearance. 
So if you think about this story, as you hear it, you might be thinking to yourself, this is really interesting because it's a lesson. Basically anything in your life that most people think is either good or is bad, these are just labels. These are things that we believe to be good or bad, but how do we know that they're actually good or bad? So from the farmer's perspective, he's basically saying, how, how do we know that this event was a misfortune? How do we know that this event was a blessing? Because in actuality, this is all just labeling. As humans, we like to have things be mentally convenient for us. We like to categorize things. We like to label things because it makes it easier for us to understand. We like to say, this is good, this is bad, this is right, this is wrong. And we see it all the time. This is moralism, which if you've read the book, Radical Honesty by Brad Blanton, he talks about the ill effects of moralism. What happens psychologically is sometimes if we're too moralistic, like let's say we're, we are raised in an overly religious household and we feel bad for all the things that we've done, we feel shame and things like that, then oftentimes that will create resistance within us and could lead to depression and just us feeling bad about ourselves. But we see the same thing, not just religion, right? We see the same thing in different social groups as well. I even saw it within RSD or other companies I've worked with, not just RSD. I'm not saying RSD is, is a bad company. This is something that naturally arises or occurs within any grouping of people, especially when that grouping of people has really strong values and beliefs that they share in common. And we start to say to each other, you know, you should have approached that, that girl. You should have done this. You should have done that. But how do we know that that was the right or the wrong thing to do? Because as is demonstrated by this tale, we don't know the moral value of any event. The moral value of any event is purely subjective. It's what we assign it to be. So here's an example in my particular life. I'm going to be vulnerable here and share with you something that, um, something that I, I, I don't necessarily share this openly very often. But basically, when I was 23 and I had just graduated from college, my stepfather had tragically passed away. And it was very unexpected. Um, my mom called me and, and uh, you know, it was, it was quite shocking at the time. And I remember that week when I went back home. So basically, I was in Utah. My mom calls me. I left my job, let them know that I'm not coming back. Uh, drove to L.A., I spent the week in LA. It was so interesting though, because when someone close to you like that passes away, you get all sorts of different responses from people. And honestly, part of the exhausting part of a tragedy like that is how to handle each of the people that, that come up to you and people handle it in different ways because a lot of times they expect you to be sad they almost want you to be sad because within their reality, they're expecting that. That's, that's what's supposed to happen is you're supposed to be sad when your father or a parent or a loved one dies. But the interesting thing was I'm still human. So I wasn't feeling constantly sad. There were moments where I definitely felt sad, but there were also moments where I still felt happy during that week because my emotions go up and down just like any other human. 
And so it was a weird thing when sometimes I would be feeling actually pretty good, but then the people around me, you know, we would, we would visit a lot of people because we were breaking the news to different people in our life and people that were close to him. And there's a variety of responses, but sometimes the other person would kind of try to fit us into this role of being sad that we're supposed to be in mourning. And so they would feel sorry for us. And granted, I appreciate that. I mean, you know, that's pretty much all you can do in that situation. But it was almost like they were trying to bring us back down to how they saw that we were supposed to be, if that makes sense. And we see this all the time, whether it's in religion, whether it's in science, because science is the same sort of thing. If you're not being logical or rational, you also get shamed. Um, you know, in atheism, in the science community, in academics, in religion, in groups like RSD, you know, if you don't align with the, the morals that this group has put together, then sometimes you're shamed for that. But there's another approach that you can take, which is no expectations. How you feel about it is how you feel about it. It is what it is. It's neither good or bad. It is what it is. And so this is also what I see as, you know, sometimes in RSD, they talk about being grounded or sometimes Owen talks about being icy. But what I actually see is behind that, this is the underlying feeling or belief that results in that sort of demeanor. Because sometimes we conflate the symptoms with the cause, right? Sometimes we think that we see someone who's grounded and we try to act that way. But because you're trying to act that way, you're not being it. And I believe that the, the only real way to, to truly be, to become, is to actually change the beliefs underlying everything else. So yeah, we could change our behavior, but unless we really identify with that behavior, unless we change the beliefs underlying everything else, then we can never really become. It's kind of like we're, we're putting on this, this type of mask. And sometimes I feel like that's why we feel shame sometimes around talking to other people about this stuff is because we see it as a, a separate entity other than I'm other than ourselves. We see it as like another identity that we carry on that we can't really share with people because it's not who we are, right? Because if it was truly who we were, why would we feel shame about sharing it with other people like our coworkers or our friends from high school or people from you know other areas of our life, our family? If we really didn't feel shame around it or if we really felt aligned with, with what we believed, then why would there be that resistance? So I invite you to consider some of these things. And once again, I'm not saying that you have to see the world the same way I do, but I just seen in my particular circumstances that this has been really helpful. And the reason why, another reason why I brought up the, the story about my stepfather is because the way I viewed it, I basically thought about this story, but this is actually before I knew about this story. The way I viewed it back then was instead of making this the worst thing that's ever happened to me, I'm going to allow this to be the best thing that's ever happened to me. And that shift changed everything for me because after that week, I allowed that event to inspire me to take more action, but also to just be more congruent with who I am. 
right? To be more authentic with people because I realized a lot of our appearances and images, the way we portray ourselves, at the end of the day, we're all gonna be dead. And after about a month, no one's going to care about your existence. That is the solemn truth behind it. And once again, it doesn't have to be solemn because sometimes people will say, I'll tell that to people. I've actually spoken about this with some people. They're like, oh, that's a really sad thing. But once again, they're going back to this story. They're being the villagers that are saying that's a misfortune. That's a sad truth. It doesn't have to be sad. It could also be the most liberating truth that you've heard. It's your choice. It's your choice how you want to view it. Right. So that's that's what I've seen, though, is after my stepfather passed away about 30 days after about 30 days, you know, the first 30 days, you know, we had all these phone calls, all these people talking to us because he was a very charismatic man, very influential in his community. And, you know, we had a lot of people visiting us, you know, giving their condolences and things like that, which I definitely appreciate. But then maybe 30 days later, it was like everyone had just moved on and was living their life, which is totally normal. That's just a cycle of life. 30 days later, people go on with their lives and they don't really obsess or think about these things, right? Except for maybe, you know, his parents and people that are really close. And so we see this all the time, even when, when people, famous people pass away as well it only lasts for a certain period of time and then we move on with our lives. So that's why I say, and actually Gary Vee talks about this too, where he's like, I, I was fortunate enough to be raised. This is what Gary Vee says. Is he says, I, I was fortunate enough to be raised by parents who taught me that I'm special, but at the same time, if I die tomorrow, I know that nobody would care. That's just how things are, right? If we view ourselves as special, but we also see the reality behind it is we are just beings and no one is necessarily better than anyone else. We all have intrinsic worth, intrinsic value as human beings, but we don't necessarily need to put ourselves above anyone else with our income or the number of girls that we've been, at, been with there's certain people that try to fit you into that. They say, oh, I've, you know, I, I make this much money. I'm better than you. Or they'll say, I've been with this many girls. I, my girlfriend is, is super hot. I'm better than you. That's where they try to fit you into. But you can realize that we all have intrinsic worth. And our income or our dating lives or our health it's separate from our self-worth, our own perception of ourselves or the inherent self-worth that we have as beings. And that's where I see, and I've seen this in my life personally too. And a lot of times if I go into some sort of depression, it's because I'm comparing myself to other people and I allow myself to see the world as the external world around me is equal to my self-worth whatever my circumstances are, are equal to my self-worth. That's, that's, those are the thoughts that get me into those negative thought patterns of I'm not good enough, or I need to improve. I need to hustle. I need to do this. I need to do more. 
right? I need to improve myself. I need to watch more YouTube videos. I need to go out more. It's, I mean, yeah, I could do those things and those things make me feel good. But at the end of the day, if I don't realize that I am who I am and no matter how much I improve myself, no matter how many times I go to the gym, no matter how many times I go out and try to be more social, no matter how many, how much more money I make, that at the end of the day, when I die, it doesn't mean anything anyway. If I'd never, if I fail to put that into perspective, then I get caught in that line of thinking that my self-worth is somehow associated with my external circumstances. So I just wanted to share this story with you because this was one of the most impactful stories. And maybe it was also because of the circumstances, you know, when you're 5 a.m. waking up, you're with the monk and you're, you've been meditating all day for a few days in a row and your thought, you're, you're completely at peace in your mind and you know, your thoughts are more tranquil than usual. And you have that ability to really focus for not 60 to 90 minutes straight and listen to the monk and internalize everything. I think all of that really helped me to understand. Now, I'm not saying that you have to be in that kind of state right now, but hopefully this is something that you can really internalize and, and to really maybe see some perspective and hopefully this adds some perspective for you, whatever situation you're in right now, whether it's good or whether it's bad. Because whether it's good or whether it's bad, honestly, is an illusion. That's the thing is that all of this Everything really is an illusion. It's what we make of it. You get to choose the way you see the world. You get to choose whether things are good or they're bad. There's no one out there. There's no law out there that says you have to hook up with this many girls. You have to make this much money in order to be happy, in order to feel fulfilled. Those are all made up rules, but you get to choose the rules. And that's the beautiful thing is that there is no set of rules that is one size fits all for everyone. You have to customize the game for whatever makes you happy and whatever makes you feel the most fulfilled. So that's why sometimes when I see some of this pickup stuff that's out there, I just feel like nowadays it all kind of comes from the same foundation and no one is really questioning or, or thinking, I mean, I'm kind of generalizing here because I haven't watched, to be totally honest, I haven't watched that much pickup stuff for the last few years. But from what I've seen or what I was encountering back in the day, I really saw that everyone was just working from the same foundation. A lot of it was RSD content, which RSD is great. You know, I, uh, Owen, Owen's fantastic with the stuff he puts out there. The instructors are great people. Um, but at the same time, they're just people, right? And they have their own unique perspectives. And sometimes we kind of become lazy to be totally honest. We kind of become lazy with the way we think because we allow other people to dictate our morals or our values or our beliefs, the way we see the world. And I invite you to consider what are the ways that you see the world unique to you? What do you actually believe in? Because you get to choose the game. You get to choose what you want to do with your life, how you want to live your life, what actually constitutes 
fulfillment for you. And you also get to let go of expectations. No one is saying that you have to make this much money or that you have to hook up with this many girls or that you have to you know, be at a certain weight. No one is saying that you have to do any of these things. It's ultimately up to you. And regardless of whether you're there or you're not, also doesn't determine your self-worth because your intrinsic worth or value as a human being, it's always gonna be there, no matter what. No one can take that away from you unless you allow them to, unless you start to believe that you need something else external on the outside from you in order to be worth something. If you start to believe that illusion or that lie, you're gonna start to see the world from that perspective. So I invite you to, to consider really just choosing how you wanna live life, how you wanna see life. And this is the lesson I wanna share with you today. So I hope that this gives you some perspective. Once again, this is just my unique take on it. I'm sure that you also have a unique take on, on the things that you heard today. But uh, I'll talk to you later. Talk soon. Take care.